If you have your Bibles, would you please turn to the book of Romans? The book of Romans. Let me just say, first off, if you were with us last week on site for our outdoor service, thank you for being here. It was just a blessing to be outside. The weather was beautiful, and it was nice to see so many people that we have not normally seen in a very long time. So thank you so much for coming. If you came, um, we were just really encouraged. I mean, our staff walked away encouraged. It just was a breath of fresh air to see people. Um, and, and I pretty much remembered everybody's name that I haven't seen in a while. And that's a good thing considering that I'm getting, it's getting harder for me to remember names sometimes. Um, in all seriousness, we are really glad to have you all with us and thank you for being a part of it last week. Um, but we continued in our series last week in Romans chapter 12. We spoke from the first two verses of Romans chapter 12 in our rooted series. And if you've been with us, you know that Romans 12 is a turning point in this series where Paul spent the first 11 chapters, actually the first eight chapters, talking about the wrath of God, the grace of God, and the power of walking in the Spirit. He then turns a corner in 9, 10, and 11, and he begins talking about the nation of Israel. He starts talking about God's sovereign choice and what it means to have an infinitely um, powerful and knowledgeable God who is in control that we can ask God questions, but we shouldn't question God because he is ultimately the one who is in charge of everything. We talked about what true salvation looks like in Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that was a message to Israel. And it's a message to all of us that salvation is not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus already did for us. And we talked about all those things and brought it all the way through the end of chapter 11. And we turned a corner last week in chapter 12. And chapter 12 is the beginning of answering the how question. And what I mean by that is you can hear all you want about the knowledge of who God is, who we are as sinners, who we are as a result of God's grace, the love of God put on us. All of these things are good and fill us. But ultimately, we need to turn a corner and ask the question, what do we do with this? How do we live as followers of Christ? And from Romans 12 through Romans 16 is when Paul captures all of that information and begins teaching us how to live a Christian life. 12 through 16 are some of the deepest, most rich counseling chapters on how followers of Christ are supposed to live. And he kicked it off with the first two verses of Romans 12. And I read these last week. I'm going to read them again for you this morning. He says, therefore, I urge you. He's talking to believers. He's talking to the Romans and the Christians. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And if you remember from last week, I said the goal of this is to understand God's will. Last week's message was specifically called the pathway to God's will. And to be able to understand, to test and approve what God's will is in our lives. I'm not looking for a show of hands, but how many of us would say we want that as a goal in our lives? To know the will of God to understand the will of God, to walk in the will of God. And he uses the very first two verses in chapter 12 to set the stage as a thesis, if you will, a thesis statement to say, if you want to know the will of God, here's how you do it. And he uses these two verses. And if you recall from last week, I worked backwards. I worked backwards because he said at the end, the goal is to test and approve God's perfect will. 
But in order to do this, we went one step back. We reverse engineered this. To know God's will, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, we have to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And to be willing to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, we have to fix our eyes on the mercy of God. That's the way it works. If you want to experience the will of God, start by fixing your eyes on the mercy of God. What does it mean? That God gave us what we did not deserve. That's grace. And he didn't give us what we did deserve. That's mercy. When he doesn't give us what we deserve, that's the mercy of God. And we recognize that it's not just that we didn't get what we didn't deserve, but it was the love of God that brought him to that place because of the value he sees in me and the value he sees in you. And when we understand that truth, and our identity gets rooted in that truth, we will want to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We will want to give him our time and our gifts and our minds and our thoughts and our our abilities. We want to lay everything before him as a living sacrifice. And when we offer that as a living sacrifice, we're letting the architect change our minds. Because living sacrifices become transformed because God has permission to change our minds. Does that make sense? And when God changes our mind and our thoughts, we begin understanding his will for us and our purposes in life. That's how it works. So you may have heard me say last week, and I've been thinking about this all week, that God is more interested in changing what's in us than what's around us. That is a very, very powerful understanding that we need to have planted in our hearts because the world tells us our circumstances dictate how we should be. And God says, no, what's happening in your heart dictates who you should be, and how you should live. So today, we're going to look at verses 3 through 8, and we're going to look at understanding God's will and understanding the purpose in relationship to spiritual gifts. How do we know God's will? How do we understand God's will in relationship to the topic of spiritual gifts? And today's message is called, Good Gifts, God's Way. God gives good gifts, And he does them God's way. The topic is about spiritual gifts. And what I want to do is I want to show you briefly, if we're looking at this from God's perspective, what does he say about spiritual gifts? What is God's plan for spiritual gifts? How does it, how does that, that, how does that, what's the word? Affect and impact us as people. Because it's one thing to know about it, it's another thing to experience it. How do these things come together, and what does God say about spiritual gifts? And remember, we need to look at this through a renewed mind, through a transformed heart. Not through how the world tells us it should look, but through how God tells us it should be. So the first question really is, what are spiritual gifts? And for many people, they've heard that, but maybe this is a newer term for some of you. Spiritual gifts, a simple definition of spiritual gifts is this. They're abilities that God gives to individual believers for the building up of all believers. Both of these pieces are super important. Spiritual gifts are abilities. They're abilities, they're skills They're gifts that God gives to individual believers. To each one of us, he gives these gifts for the purpose of building up all believers. That's what they are. God is the one that originates them. God is the one that gives them to us. God is the one that empowers us to use them. Now, some of these gifts are supernatural. There's three different places in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. 
One of the areas is 1 Corinthians 12. Another area is Ephesians chapter 4. And the third area is the area we're looking at this week and next week, Romans chapter 12. Those are three areas. In the Old Testament, there are two different gifts. But in total, we see approximately 21 spiritual gifts that are mentioned across the Old and the New Testament. Is that exhaustive? I don't know. Those are the ones that people have identified. We've seen those. And they are listed in the three areas of the New Testament. And then the two in the Old Testament include music and they include craftsmanship. But some of these are supernatural. Some of these are natural abilities. But here's the part. If it's a spiritual gift, it's not just a natural ability. If it's a spiritual gift, it's a natural ability that is increased in measure and effectiveness for God's purposes. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of talented people in this world, right? And they're not using necessarily their ability for godly purposes. A spiritual gift isn't just a natural ability. It's using that natural ability and increasing it in a measure that can be used for God's effectiveness. But all of them come from God through his Holy Spirit. So let's talk a little bit more about this. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts. I just said there's 21 approximately listed in the Old and New Testament, two in the Old, 19 in the New. And the question I want to ask this morning briefly is how can we use God's spiritual gifts and stay true to his will? How can we use God's spiritual gifts and stay true to his will? Number one, practice humility and gratitude. Remember, we're looking at this through God's lens. We're not looking at through through ours or through the world. The way that we use God's spiritual gifts first and foremost is to practice humility and gratitude. Paul begins in verse 3. By saying, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So Paul is telling them two specific things when it comes to exercising spiritual gifts and walking in spiritual gifts as followers of Christ. First, he's saying you need to think level-headed about this. Don't puff yourself up in pride when we start talking about spiritual gifts. Your approach to spiritual gifts needs to be an attitude of humility because he presents to them by the grace God gave him. And remember what grace is? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. That makes you humble when you are given something that you don't deserve. And what Paul's saying is God is giving you these gifts and we don't even deserve them. So before we puff ourselves up and say, look what we have, come to a place and think level-headed about it. And then the second thing he's saying there is don't be self-promoting. When he talks about sober judgment and not thinking highly of yourself, he's saying don't puff yourself up in arrogance and pride. And don't be self-promoting about the gifts that God has given you. Be humble. Be obedient. And watch what God do, what God will do through your gifts because you walk in an attitude of humility. Because you're not looking to puff yourself up or promote your abilities. You're not looking to make a name for yourself, but you're looking to use them for God's purposes and God's purposes alone. Now remember, we're talking about a transformed heart and a transformed mind, right? Is this the message the world will tell us about our abilities? Absolutely not. Now, there is an element of You should be humble with things. But the world is very good at telling us when you're good at something, promote it. Make a name for yourself. The people on the top of the tier are the people that pay attention to you. 
or the ones that people pay attention to. Promote your gifts. Promote your abilities. Let everybody know what you can offer. And do it in a way that basically makes you look like you are great. That's what the primary focus of the world tells us regarding our abilities and our gifts. That it is better for you to elevate yourself so that others know what your abilities and your gifts and your accomplishments are. And God flips it completely upside down when Paul tells us, if you want to use spiritual gifts the way God has intended for you to use them, be level-headed. That's what sober judgment is. You know, sober, the opposite of sober is drunk. Well, when you're drunk, you're not thinking too clearly, right? I mean, don't, some of you are like, I'm not nodding to that. <laughs> when people get drunk, they don't think too clearly, right? True story. When we're sober, our minds are even-keeled. We think clearly. We're level-headed. We can reason and be clear in what we're trying to think. And he says, in addition to that, any gift that God gives you, don't use it as a platform to raise yourself up. Just recognize he's given it to you in his grace. And that's really what spiritual gifts mean. Spiritual gifts, the word spiritual gifts, they come from two different words. The first is charis, which means grace, and the second is pneuma, which means spirit, and it's the grace gifts. Charismatic, the grace gifts. Now that doesn't mean, um, when we say what it does mean, what it means is every gift that God gives us is a gift we don't deserve. And yet he gives them to us because he's good, right? Because he loves us and because he has a purpose to use us in this world. The grace gifts are powerful. All of these spiritual gifts are given not because we're worthy, but because he is worthy and he is good and he is loving. So Paul tells us to this, tells us about this. He says, be level-headed, be humble. Why should we be humble? Because of salvation. Salvation and our abilities are not a result of ourselves. We can't save ourselves. Only God saves ourselves. Be humble. And recognize salvation only comes because God makes it available to us. Be thankful. Be thankful because God sees great value in us and he loves us. He sees great value in us. Paul said earlier, remember in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were of no use whatsoever, Christ died for us. While the world would say we're of no value, while we were dead in our sins, Romans 5.8 says, he saw the value that he created from us in, in us from the beginning. And he went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross so that that value, that value could be raised up. So let's be thankful because he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us in the heart of love. He gives us what he wants to because he's holy and he's loving and he's compassionate. So let's practice grace. And let's practice gratitude. I'm sorry, let's practice humility and let's practice gratitude. The second thing, how can we use God's spiritual gifts and stay true to his will is this. Remember that everyone's gifts have equal value and they are intended to benefit all believers. This is a big one for us to grab a hold of. Everyone's gifts have equal value in God's eyes. And they are intended. The reason why he gives you and I gifts is to benefit the community of faith. Not individuals, but the group of believers. In verses 4 and 5, Paul says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Think about what he's saying there. He uses this beautiful illustration 
of the body, the physical human body. And he is painting a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. And we'll know later on, if you get to 1 Corinthians 12, you'll see that he talks about the head of the body of the church is Jesus. He is the mind. He is the head. Everything that our body does functions because our mind is controlling everything. Christ is the head of the church. But we, every one of us sitting in these seats, watching online, if you're a follower of Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are part of the spiritual body. You are part of the body. And every part of the body, what is he saying? Two things he's saying there. They don't all have the same function, right? And when they form one body, each member belongs to all of the others. They're connected. And not just biologically, it's a symbiotic relationship where one part of the body is used to help another part of the body. And without parts of the body in place, the rest of the body can suffer. This is so important for us to understand this morning, you guys, because if we don't get this, we start thinking like the world and we don't think like God. He uses this and he teaches us that other members of the bodies compensate when parts don't work properly. I was thinking about this a couple of, uh, I'm thinking about this this week, a few years ago when one of my kids was going off to school in the summertime. Uh, there was a car that I was working on and it's, it's kind of like the summer routine. They come home from school and then there's like a punch list of everything we need to do to fix their cars. And uh, there was some suspension work that one of the cars needed. And I took out my air gun and my pneumatic tools and I had my hands around the back of the front of the one caliper and I had my air, my air uh, ratchet behind here and I had my hand between the air ratchet and the knuckle of the suspension on the front of the car and I had it turned the wrong way and when I pulled the trigger, the air ratchet slammed my middle finger against the knuckle and the air ratchet and boy did I scream. It hurt crazy. Now, my daughter wasn't home the one who had the car, but my other daughter was home and she was inside and she said, I thought I heard you screaming. Like, were you okay? <laughs> no, I was not okay. It hurt really, really, really bad. And my finger swelled up something fierce. And, um, everybody that saw it, you know, in their voice of encouragement, they went, yep, you're going to lose that nail. Yep. I'm like, I really love the encouragement that people, yep, you're going to lose that nail, buddy. You're going to lose it. You know, have fun. And it swelled up and it got all bloody and it was nasty. And I'm not trying to be too, too, um, detailed about this, but it really hurt. I did lose the nail. The nail fell off and it was some of the grossest stuff I've ever seen in my life in my hand. I would like, I would bandaid it up just because I didn't want to look at it. And then I would take it off sometimes and take pictures of it and send it to people that I wanted to annoy. So true story. Do that. Really? I guess, Oh, why'd you send that to me? You know? And I thought that was really funny, but here's why I want to share this story with you. Who would think that a fingernail would be so influential in my body, in your body. Who would think that, I mean, this is, these are dead cells, right? All right. They're dead cells and they just grow out and, and mine are, mine are not very long, but who would think that the absence of a tiny little fingernail would create havoc on my entire body? Because for days after I would lay down and like, like one little kid I heard years ago that got hurt, they said, my finger has a heartbeat. 
My finger has a heartbeat. I'm like, yeah, it does. It's just thud, 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 pulse, pulse, pulse. And then after that, the pain was still there. When the nail came off, there was such a need to guard that nail, that that finger, and to be cautious. I couldn't put my hand in my pocket without feeling pain and discomfort. And I'm sharing this with you because who would think that a tiny little fingernail would create so much unrest and chaos in my body for six months? And that's what it took for it to fall off and regrow. And I'm sharing that with you because sometimes, if I'm going to use that analogy, we can look at our bodies and we can say, the tongue is a very important part. I wish I was the tongue. Everybody listens to the tongue. The tongue speaks and people hear. I wish I was the heart. I mean, everyone knows how significant the heart is, right? If the heart's not working, the body dies, right? The heart is very important, How many people say in the kingdom of God, in the church of Jesus Christ, I really want to be a fingernail? Nobody really says that, you know, unless you're addicted to like the gel stuff that they put on, you know, like nobody wants to do that. Fingernails? Fingernails aren't that significant, right? Little pinky toes? Who wants to be the little pinky toe? No one wants to really be the little pinky toe. They want to be the eyes to see. They want to be the tongue to speak. They want to be the heart that fills the entire body with life. And what Paul is saying here, and it's so important for us to understand, that we have to remember everyone's gift has equal value in the body of Christ. God looks at each gift and he says to you and he says to me, it doesn't matter if your gift is speaking, teaching, prophecy, tongues, healing, evangelism, mercy, compassion, music, craftsmen. It doesn't matter what the gifts are. Generosity, that doesn't matter. God is not elevating one gift over another. Paul prioritized them and says some of them are more effective in certain components and capacities, but when God gives us gifts to use, he does not view some gifts as A-plus gifts and other gifts as B-minus gifts. They're all exactly the same to him. But the world doesn't see that. The world sees that the really talented people are more valuable and the less talented people, well, they're just average. Everyone wants to be the American Idol. Remember when that came out like 20-something years ago? Everyone wanted to be the superstar. Everyone wanted to be the guy. You look at the Bible, you guys. Everyone talks about the Moseses and the Davids and the Pauls and the Jeremiahs and the Isaiahs and the Johns. And those are a handful of people across thousands of years. And can I tell you, there were millions of people that were born and that were died that scriptures never talk about. So is the Bible telling us that those people are more valuable than the others? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What is he saying? Your gift and gifts, plural, are necessary. They're of equal value. And the second part he says is they are specifically for the purpose of the entire body. Pastor Rick Warren said this about spiritual gifts. He said, your spiritual gifts were not given for your own benefit, but for the benefit of others, just as other people were given gifts for your benefits. God did not give me a gift so that I can use it for myself, my guys, my friends. He does not give you gifts so they can use it for yourself. If you have gifts and you're not using it to help other people, you are not understanding the purpose of spiritual gifts. If he's put desires in your heart 
to grow. And, and that's how people, they discern, well, how do I know if I have a spiritual gift? And what does it really look like? What is God putting on your heart? What is he giving you life from when you take steps in a direction and you sense more of his life and you sense more passion and more purpose? God is calling you to walk in those gifts. He's calling you to develop those gifts. And if we don't walk in those gifts and develop those gifts, if we don't serve those, use those gifts to serve other people, we're not fulfilling what God asks us to do for the church to build each other up. And, and you know what happens when those kinds of things happen? Two things. You know, I, I, I use this term in our Explore class over the years, and, and it's, it's the concept of the idea of our Thrive Center out there, the listen, the learn, and the learn, and the live. When we listen to God, we hear his voice, we build relationship with him. When we learn, we grow through the truth of the word, and we grow in development and research, and, and God teaches us what his word means. And then when we live, we actually go and do it. And if all we're doing is listening to God and understanding how he's wired us to be and we have a relationship with him and through learning we understand how my gift is supposed to be used but I don't do anything with it. We become what I call constipated Christians. Right? You can laugh a little bit. I mean, it's kind of silly but like when that happens to our bodies physically it can be pretty painful. You know? I... You know, I was just thinking a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a, a parent of a young child, a young child. And, uh, you know, babies, they have trouble, like, getting their body moving when they're, you know, only a couple weeks old. And I remember they said, you know, like, well, my, my child was having a hard time, you know, making everything come in and go out. And, uh, I mean, you could see it on their face. And they were like, things aren't going well. And they're talking to the doctor and everything. And then one day, everything changed. And they said, and their kid just sat there and went, ah. I wish I had a picture of that. That was a great picture, too, watching the parent's face say that. And I thought about that and said, if all we do is take in, if all we do is receive, if all we do is fill, 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 so that we understand about everything that we are and we just don't do anything with it, how do we expect to actually become more of who God has called us to be? Every gift matters. Sometimes the reason why we don't do it is because we think our gift doesn't matter. Well, I can't play a guitar. I can't sing. I can't speak on a stage. I can't fill in the blank, and therefore I must not be as valuable. And can I tell you, when you think that way, you're not thinking like God's way. You're thinking like the world. Every person in this room, everyone who's a follower of Christ, is absolutely necessary to see the work of the ministry move forward. God has given every one of us. And if you don't believe that, you're not thinking like the church or like God. You're thinking like the world. It's so important for us to recognize, I mean, I have gifts. Yes, you do. And they're just as valuable as, as yours, Paul. Yes, they are. They're just as valuable as this person. Yes, they are. God doesn't hold me in a higher regard or anyone else in a higher regard because the gifts he's given us differ from yours. He wants every single person to excel in the gifts that he's given them. And to pursue even more gifts so he can say, your hands are open. Oh, I'm going to develop the ones that you have and I'm going to give you even more because I can trust you with what you're asking for. Remember that you have great value. Remember that they're not just for your own benefit, but they are for the benefit of the community. And I'm saying this last part because this is what's so important. When we think about the church, the bigger church, the big C, when Paul says that this is for all, he uses the body and he says, each member belongs to all the others. This is a great word picture of true biblical community. What he's saying is my actions as a believer, my decisions 
my thoughts, my acts, everything that I do, don't just influence me. They influence the entire body. What I do and what I don't do is designed to influence the entire body. That's what biblical community is supposed to look like. And some of you have heard me talk about this, and sometimes I say it at nauseum, but we have learned over the last 12 to 15 months that a lot of people that are followers of Christ do not understand the reality of biblical community. They understand biblical individualism. I want what I want. I do what I do. I prefer this. I prefer that. I don't care about the other people. I've had people tell me to my face over the years, well, I don't know those people. What do I care about that? I don't know those people. I don't know those people. And I go, you're missing the whole point. God used 2020 as an opportunity to show the church of Jesus Christ that we are either walking as individuals or we're walking as a community of believers. And I thought about this over the last number of months. And I said, if 2019 was here today and someone stood on this stage and they said, I want you to know that great persecution is coming to your communities. I want you to know that the church of Jesus Christ is going to be divided. I want you to know that there's going to be things that come into the church that cause brothers and sisters to no longer associate with each other or leave churches or go to different places and no longer have relationships that they've poured years and years and years into. I want you to know that's coming and be prepared. How many of us would try to envision what that possibly could look like. All of us would say, what could possibly be coming? Here's one thing that I know for sure. Not one of us would think that this would be the culprit. Be honest. Not one of us would think this would have been the culprit. This dumb little thing has created division across the body of Christ in ways that have grieved the heart of God. I'm not getting political. I'm not saying what's right or what's wrong. I'm saying... This has become the focus and the mission for 15 months. And, and right now, the issue, now, now it's no longer this. Now it's going to vaccines. Now if you're not going to be vaccinated, oh, now you don't love people. Now you don't care people. And it's going to continue to divide the church of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, if you're spending too much time thinking about what the world's telling you matters, you're not letting your mind be renewed by the words of Christ. The mission, the mission of Jesus Christ, hear me, the mission of Jesus Christ is not about what the government tells us is right or wrong. And I'm, you know me well enough if you know me to know that we're not advocating disobeying the government blindly about things. That's ridiculous. I always have to speak extremes because people are good at swinging the polar opposite and go, is this what you mean? Of course I don't mean that. But the church has been really, really good at withdrawing. The church has been really good, the bigger church, of being individuals. The church has been really, really good at not looking at the need of the community of faith and saying, what is best for the community? What is best for the community? When we made this policy change this morning to go from masks being optional and face coverings during the entire worship service, I've had some people say, yeah, I don't know if people are going to be okay with that. Some people are really going to struggle with that. They still don't want to wear a mask when they walk through the doors of our church. And you know what I say to them? You're going to love this. If they can't put a mask on to walk 20 feet in our building, I don't want them to be here. Why would you say that, Pastor Paul? Because you'll do it when you walk into a store. You'll do it to pump your gas. You'll do it to get a paycheck. Why can't you do that for the brother and sister who you claim to love in Jesus' name? Come on. Like, let's be honest about this. We're not going to live in this world forever, but I can tell you one thing. My heart has been really struggling over the last 12 to 15 months as every pastor I know that loves people to go, what do we do with this? Are we walking in unity? Are we walking in community? Are we building each other up? 
God, please check our hearts if this is becoming the thing that keeps the church from building each other up. Where are the gifts that you've called us to do together to walk in a spirit of unity so that the church can overcome? Because can we be honest? If, if something as simple as this creates a division in the church of Jesus Christ, when real persecution comes, we don't have a prayer. This is reality. This is persecution. This ain't nothing. If we don't walk and lock arms with each other and we camp on ridiculous stuff like this, come on. You hear what I'm saying? Isn't this a great Mother's Day message? <laughs> I really thought about it. I was like, this is a Mother's Day message? What does that have to do with Mother's Day? Stick to the text, Paul. Walk it out. It's about the word. And I'm being honest with you. I'm like, God, this is, we have to have a nice, happy Mother's Day message. No. Have the true message about what scriptures are saying and walk in unity. Can I tell you, isn't that what the heart of every mother is, is for their children to walk in a spirit of unity with their family? I mean, we'll talk about this in another time. But this is so important for us to understand that we need to recognize our gifts have equal value. They're intended to benefit everybody. And if you're not using your gift for everyone, other people are being hurt. Third thing, how can we use God's spiritual gifts and stay true to his will? How can we use God's spiritual gifts and stay true to his will? The answer, respond to God's goodness by using your gifts. How can you stay, how can we use God's spiritual gifts? How do you stay true to his will? You have to respond to God's goodness by using your gifts. You don't use your gifts by responding to what I say. I'm just a person. I have no other influence. My words should not carry more weight than anything else. I'm just a person speaking what I think that scripture says. What does God's goodness look like to you? Remember what Paul said in Romans 12, verse 1? In view of God's mercy, in view of God's goodness, in view of what he's done for me and what he's done for you, when we see God that way, we respond to his goodness by saying, you have everything that I have. I'll give you everything that I have. I will, yes, I will develop. I will grow. I look over the years of the things that God's asked me to do, and they were never part of my long-term plan. I never had a long-term plan that said, all the things I'm doing today are the things I'm going to do. God just said, are you willing? Are you open? Do you trust me? And will you give me everything that you have? But Lord, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, I know, Paul. I'm God. Lord, I'm going to fail many times. I know, Paul. Remember, I made you. Will you walk? Will you obey? Will you trust me in the process? Because if you do, not only will you be blessed, but you will be a tool and a resource to bless everyone else around you. A.W. Tozer said this about spiritual gifts. He said, revivals or any other spiritual gift and graces come only to those who want them badly enough. It may be said without qualification that every man is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wants to be. He may not be as full as he wishes he were, but he is most certainly as full as he wants to be. That touches my heart when I see that. What is he saying? He's saying you may desire to have more, but you're only going to be as full of the gifts of God as you want to be. Because your obedience determines what God can do in you and through you. I've heard people over the years of our church say, God has given me the gift of prophetic utterances and ministry. And he speaks things in my heart. And I say, that's great. I've never heard you once come up to me on a worship service on a Sunday morning and ask to give a word of knowledge to the church. Why? Well, I don't, I don't know. So is God going to use you? He will if you do it. 
God has given me the desire to be generous. And if I could just earn all this additional money, I would be so generous. Mm -mm, It doesn't work that way. God calls you to be generous with what you have now. And he adds to the increase so that you can be faithful with a little. He can trust you with a lot. You with me? See how this works? Start with what you have. Grow and let God grow and develop you. Let him use you however he chooses to use you. I've had a heartbeat and a desire, Pastor Paul, to to just get involved and just really, I mean, think about this workshop thing that we're doing that we did two years ago even. People that take their gifts and their abilities in the corporate world or in the public sector and they use it to reach kids and to do something to reach kids. And for many of them, it's a, I don't even know how this is going to work, but I'm going to try. And I love fumbling forward. You know what I mean? Like figuring it out as you go. Because as we fumble forward, what we find is that God says, I'm just going to use your mess to make something beautiful. Trust me, be obedient, and watch what I'm going to do. We're going to close here in a few minutes, and as the worship team comes, I want you to just please take a few moments and maybe do a personal inventory of where you are today in your spiritual gifts and your pursuit of God. Do you know that you have spiritual gifts? Can I ask you that question first? Do you know that you have spiritual gifts? If you are a follower of Christ, you don't have to wonder whether you have spiritual gifts. If you are a follower of Christ today, you have spiritual gifts. Do you understand how valuable you are in the kingdom of God? Do you understand that the world may say you're not as great as this person, or you don't have a media presence, or you don't have a public demeanor? It doesn't matter. None of those things matter. What matters is that God has given you something special and beautiful, and he's saying, do you see the value I've given you? And if you don't see that first this morning, can I challenge you? You're not seeing like God. You're seeing like the world. Because he wants you to see what he's given you. He wants you to see that your value is very high and you're no different than anyone else. But if you do see that, my next question is, are you using the gifts that God has given you for the sake of everyone else? You know, from the time I was a young child, I've heard this statistic that in the corporate church, in the larger church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And it might be 25 and 75 or 30 and 70. It doesn't matter. The point of the matter is the minority of people do the majority of the work. And if you're a growing, maturing follower of Christ, you will be serving for the sake of others. And if you're not serving for the sake of others, you're missing a grand opportunity to grow closer to God. And the rest of the body has to compensate because you're not doing what God has called you to do. That's how it works. How has he called you to live? How has he called you to get involved? What does he put on your heart that maybe you feel fearful of even taking a step into? Trust him. Walk. Watch what he can do. And then as you do that, believe and experience all the things he's going to do in you. You will find, as, Rob, as the Proverbs says in Proverbs eleven twenty five, that a generous person prospers. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. We need to walk in a spirit of unity, church. We need to support each other. We need to walk without any concern about whether we feel that we're less or more valuable. We need to be humble as people and recognize that I need brothers and sisters in my life that are strong in areas that I am weak. And you all need people in your life who are strong in areas that you're weak. Let's walk it out. Let's walk in a spirit of kindness and humility. 
I don't want to know what your gift is. I want to see you use it. Andy Stanley said, when the house is on fire, don't tell me what your spiritual gift is. Just grab a hose and put out the fire. I love that. He doesn't want to know what your gift is. Just grab a hose and make it happen. What would it be like in this world that we're living in right now of such division and unrest if the church grabbed a hold of the hose together and said, we are going to put out a fire in the name of Jesus? Great things will happen. So if you're here today, if you're here today, as Paul said, if your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encourage one another, then give encouragement. And if it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And what is he saying through all of that? However God has planted gifts in your heart, be obedient and do it, but do it out of the attitude and the motivation of his goodness, not obligation. Because he is a good God. Amen? Would you take a moment and stand with me this morning? He's a good God. Come on. The team's going to sing this song, and I want you to just reflect on it as we get ready to close. Do you know the goodness of God this morning? Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know how much he has in store for you and for the people around you? Let's walk in a spirit of unity and a spirit of power together to see God accomplish great things.